This is the Bob and Colin Podcast, and it is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today with uh, John Shannon. And today, Mr. Shannon, we're going to go to the West Coast. Yeah, good idea. Our friend Todd McClellan will join us. He is the head coach of the Los Angeles Kings. We're having a pretty good year. You, you know, yeah. we talked about it with Brian Lawton on, on Monday about lots of people have said, what's wrong with the West? The West is weak. They had, you know, the, the Pacific division was no good. Well, all of a sudden, you know, with the deals done at the deadline, the Oilers are better. Vegas is much better. And so are the Los Angeles Kings better. And don't look now, but this division now has become very competitive. And that includes the Seattle Kraken, who are still in a playoff. Well, slot. you could argue it's been competitive all year long. But there hasn't it, been it, much difference. But almost a level. There was almost a, they were succeeding in spite of themselves for the first sixty games. Oh, I and understand. Now, and now it's now it's taken off, and these these teams have become prolific. The Kings are a fast, hard hitting, complete team uh, with you know two brand new goaltenders. Vegas has the old Kings goalie and John Quick and who's played terrific. They're the, they're the hottest team in hockey right now. And the, and Edmonton has gone and got a couple of guys and they're playing very well. So that it's a, it's a fascinating division to watch. And the first round of the playoffs are going to be great. If these, and these teams are cautious to say it all the time, Bob, and I guarantee you Todd, what will if they make it, if they make it, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're going to say that. Well, I do. But I, you know, and I, you know, if strange things can happen. Nobody's yeah. clinched, but looks like the LA Kings are in good shape. Anyway, they, may, we'll talk- they, they might win the division. They, they, they might. They win could the still. Division. They're only three points behind Vegas, and yeah. they've been they've been on their tail, even ahead of them on a couple of occasions yeah. all year long. Exactly. It's been one one a. Todd McCollum, the coach of the LA Kings, when we come back after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the Bet Rivers Sports and Casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus, available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge. BetRivers.com. McCowan and Shannon back with you, and we are joined by the uh, head coach of the LA Kings, Todd McCollin is with us. One of those times a year, huh? Where uh, you kind of have to really, really focus on on what you're doing and what your team is doing. You've got a, a run to the playoffs, but I don't know if you feel comfortable yet with uh, being in, but you've in, been in good shape which is about all year. Uh, it is that time of year, and, and our team is comfortable with the way we're playing right now, but we're certainly not comfortable in acknowledging or confirming that uh, we've solidified that playoff spot, which actually makes me as a coach feel good because we can keep them. Uh, uh, we have their attention and we can keep their attention right now, but the team has played uh, a good brand of hockey lately. We played playoff style where it's tight checking and, and somewhat low scoring, uh, which favors us. And um, right now we're in a good spot. We'd like to get healthy like everybody else in the league, but 
Uh, I don't know if that ever happens completely for anybody. How do you, you manage? Re- how do you manage rest at this time of year when you're trying to get your team healthy? It's a great question. I've been asking uh, numerous coaches or people from coaching staffs as they come through what they've been doing. And um, uh, out west, obviously, our travel is a little bit different than the eastern teams, and uh, the extended road trips can take its toll. Uh, but right now, we have three types of days. We have an off day. Uh, we have a clean out day and we have a practice day and off day is obviously the obvious one practice day is pretty straightforward those are um, uh, probably 30 minutes max right now uh, but it gets quite competitive and and um, you have the luxury of wearing the players out a little bit on in that case but uh, the clean out days become the popular one where uh, maybe three drills flow drills just to get the legs feeling good again uh, have a sense of pace and good execution and uh, get ready for the next day so uh, it's been a long year already and teams want to play for quite a while and there's a lot of uh, I don't want to use the word load management because that's a a basketball term but there's a lot of fatigue management if you will Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about that because basketball and what has happened in basketball is guys are given days off they're given games off Um, it's become more and more popular it seems like a like there's a cycle that that each team goes through have you done any of that with the Kings? Uh, we have not uh, at this point, but uh, I, I think what may happen as you get closer to those last two or three regular season games, if you're fortunate enough to be uh, de- to be in the playoffs and perhaps have uh, a position solidified where you can't move up or down or home ice or anything like that, uh, there, are some, there are some players that have given us everything they have but don't get to play a lot. Yeah, uh, they they're the the fifth line player or the seventh defenseman uh, in and out, and we'd like to keep them sharp and keep them involved in the game. So there may be that situation very very late in the season, uh, but not certainly during the season or at this point. Boy, I'd like to be a fly on the wall after after the morning skate when you walk up to Drew Doughty and say, "Hey, Drew, I don't think I think you should take tonight off." I don't think that conversation would last very long, would it? No, and, and you know what? The good thing in, in our sport, uh, but also in our locker room especially, that's not a comfortable conversation you have with anybody. Um, and that's a good thing for, for our sport and for, uh, uh, for the fans because they, they pay to watch the best players play on a nightly basis, and, and they deserve to see that. And I think our team, our league, and uh, our group of, of hockey people uh, do a good job of presenting that to the fans. But so you don't get an extended period off. It seems like there's games all the time. And there is. I, yeah, I, I wonder how you feel about that. I mean, you know, you don't get much practice time during the course of the season. No, we don't. And, um, you know, it's practices have changed over the years. Uh, you used to have an hour and a half slot. And you used all the hour and a half up. Yeah. Uh, I think now that the teams have hired experts as far as, uh, sleep uh sleep patterns and food uh intake and nutrition and uh, call it the sports science department if you will we rely a lot on their expertise they give us guidance on on how much the group should skate or shouldn't skate uh 82 games is a lot of hockey um you throw in uh, seven or eight exhibition games trips to europe to start um depending on where you are uh, on the map it makes it tougher um you know, and I hear there's talk of 84. In my own personal opinion, I, I think 82 is fine. Uh, but I also understand um, 
how the business part of the game works. And, and if we go to 84, great, but uh, uh, I think the players are taxed already to the max and um, it's hard for them to stay healthy. It's hard for us as coaches to keep expectations high when you play that many games. How many times do you uh, go to the guys and say, listen, we're in, well, we're in New York or Boston or somewhere in the East and say, we're thinking of staying over. Would you rather stay over or go home? Because that's a long flight. It's overnight. You, you, the, the, the ripple effect of the sleep when you get home is difficult. Do you do that a lot? Do you stay over? Well, we do it. Um, not a lot, but we do do it. Um, and I guess with me answering the question that way, we'd like our players to be part of the solution. Uh, we want them to participate. If we dictate what we're doing all the time, we tend to have an unhappy group. If they participate in the decision process, well, then it's most of it's on them. They decided that that's what they want to do. But when we're playing in uh, in New York, Boston, whatever it might be, uh, getting across the country is a six-hour flight after a game, but we do gain three hours. So mm -hmm. uh, that's the one advantage of going from east to west. We can be landing by uh, 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, and if that's the case, the players would rather have their full day off at home with their families in their own bed. Uh, they don't want to spend it uh, flying six hours across the country. Uh, so a, a lot of our players will choose to fly after the game. We will go to the science department that we have and ask them what's best. And um, we kind of have a 2 to 2.30 in the, in the morning cutoff time. If it's any later than that, we likely stay. I am one of those guys who can't sleep on an airplane. I never have been able to, no matter how long the flight, whether it's a five-hour flight, six-hour flight, three-hour flight, whatever. Do you monitor that within your players? No. Um, we ask them to do enough uh, for me to go back there and <laughs> treat them like they are uh, a midget or a bantam team would be, uh, I think, a grave mistake on, on my behalf and our team's yeah. behalf. They're, they're adults. Uh, I go back there. I can see Alex Edler. He's going home to to two or three kids that have activities the next day. He's trying to get to sleep and uh, there's others that are playing cards or watching movies. Um, I think the, the bodies are so revved up after a game, it's hard for them to sleep to begin with. Sure. Uh, you know, so for me to go back there and say lights out in 15 minutes, uh, I may not make it back to the front of the plane. Uh, <laughs> so we let them make good decisions on their own. Uh, if we see it being a problem or there's an issue, uh, we certainly would jump in, but uh, our group doesn't have that. What about so, the coach? Do you sleep on the plane? Um, yeah, I do. I guess uh, I'm one that can sleep on the plane, but I get all my work done and then uh, close my eyes and uh, yep. early the next morning. So last uh, September when camp started, your two goalies were Cal Peterson and John Quick. <laughs> last, <laughs> Neither is on your roster now. Would that have been something you could have predicted at this point? Not one bit. Uh, we didn't go into the season uh, thinking that that would or could happen. Uh, but obviously, uh, you know, we're living proof that, that things change, uh, things don't go as planned and you better be able to react and, and, uh, pursue other opportunities. Uh, Rob Blake did do that. And uh, I hope it works out well for everybody. Uh, of course, I'm thinking about Jonathan quick, uh, not an easy situation for him. Uh, but since he's arrived in, in Vegas, he's played very well and uh, looked very confident there. I think they'd be really happy with his performance. Our two guys, I'm sorry, our two guys have done a really good job. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix yeah. Copley uh, arriving halfway through the season and being able to run off the record that he's run off has been actually quite incredible. It's been a really good story, and it's been a motivator for us. Uh, Corpusalo gives us some playoff experience, and uh, since he's arrived, he's played uh, a very calm game, a very sharp game, and 
Uh, we feel fortunate to have both of them right now. Just to, to follow up on the quick situation, how difficult was that flight home? Because you, he, uh, that was the that was after our game in Winnipeg, where you guys was, came back and won. And next thing you know, and John has to fly home with the club. How how does. tough was that? Um, in, in in hindsight, at the moment, it was very very difficult. Uh, the game had ended, and um, Rob Blake did not want uh, this to come out the way it came out. Uh, but the world that we live in, there are no secrets. There's leaks everywhere for whatever reason. It's unacceptable because there's families and, and uh, kids and wives and parents that, that, that are affected by these things that happened. And I get it. It's a business and we're supposed to be able to do these things, but it's wrong. And uh, for me, I, I, I hold the media world a little bit accountable for that. I get it. You got you to gotta, um, you know, be the first one to release something. Uh, but for God's sakes, take into consideration uh, somebody's family for a second. And if it would have come out the next morning where we could have actually sat down with him, uh, we would have been fine. And uh, although it was somebody in the media that got it from somewhere that felt they had to let it out at 11 o'clock at night. Back to your question uh, in regards to the flight, um, it wasn't comfortable to begin with, I don't think for anybody. But the flight was a good flight for the group to stay together. Um, they got to play cards. They had a few beers, I'm sure, on the plane. Uh, they told stories. And maybe that was the best thing for the group as a whole was to do it then. Um, and when everybody was together, there was no, hey, I got to go home right now. Um, you're stuck on the plane and you do what you have to do. So uh, I feel for the way it happened. Uh, but in hindsight, maybe it was okay that that plane ride existed. How do you feel about uh, Quick being uh, um, a divisional opponent now? Because he well, was not traded to the Vegas. No, and we're okay with that. I, what I'm happy about is that Jonathan Quick has somewhere to play. He deserves that and that he is playing very well. Uh, that team looks confident in front of him. He looks confident in the net. And uh, you want to see it work for people that have given you everything they've got. So I, I'm happy for him. And uh, I think he'll do a real good job there. Do we get a sense of what a competitor this guy is? And I don't want to drone on about John, but every time I talk about this guy with with other people, they talk about his level of competition and that you know that he, that steely eyed stare that to to win the game. Well, whoever's telling you that knows him well because yeah. that's how he is. Um, a fierce competitor. Um, he could give two hoots about stats or anything like that. He wants to win hockey games. And that's what he enters the net to do night after night. That's what he did here for decades. And that's what he's doing in Vegas right now. And he's putting everybody on notice that he's still, still capable of doing it. So, if, so the other side of this ledger is that Phoenix Copley has, you know, risen from, from the fire and uh, has been an amazing story for you. And where, where did this come from? What has he done? What technically or on the ice or what does your team do that makes Phoenix Copley such a good goaltender right now? Well, one, the person. So Phoenix Copley is a very quiet, reserved individual. He's very focused. Anything that he does, he's, he's focused in. Um, he arrived and he knew that he had an opportunity. He didn't know for how long. And he took it day by day, one game at a time. Uh, I know he played in Boston. I'm not sure if that was his first game, but it was in and around that time. And he played extremely well there. That was instant confidence and credibility for um, our group. We won in a shootout, of, I believe, there. Uh, next day, he came back and did it again. 
And it just kept snowballing and snowballing. And um, now you just put his name up on the board. He goes in and does it just like he did in Boston. And, and there really hasn't been a waiver moment uh, a couple of times where uh, maybe it slipped a little bit, but it's hard to be perfect in the NHL. Um, and uh, his level of confidence um, filtered throughout the team and, and everybody's uh, belief system grew when, when he went in the net. So in your 14 games to go, how do you manage the two goalies? Because I would assume you haven't decided who your starting goalie in the playoffs will be. Well, we could play two playoffs, or pardon me, two goalies in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, there, there's this unwritten rule that you got to go with one. We, we're going to try and win games any way we can. And I'm not saying we're going to alternate and go back and forth. I'm not saying we're going with one. Uh, we're going to play with two. But my experience, uh, a Stanley Cup year in Detroit, you need two goaltenders. You either need two through injury, you need two through caliber of play or momentum in a game. Um, and we feel like we have both of those. Down the stretch, we'll keep both of them um, fresh and aware of how our team is playing and feeling and uh, some of the things that we need to work on with their help, uh, whether it's shares or or communication. Um, I think if we let one of them get away on us too long, it's hard to get them back. You don't have that practice time. Um, so that's how we'll approach it down the stretch. Are you likely, are you the kind of coach, you know, I'm obviously you, you make your decision on a goaltender um, the day of, in many cases uh, of the game, but you're also aware of how they played the last, last game, who played the last game. Are you more likely to make a change if a guy isn't playing well keep a guy in if he did play well in his last game or do you kind of try and think bigger term like you know um give a guy a night off if he if you think he needs it yeah i i think that's a that's a tough question to answer we want both of them confident so we have to look right. at at the the maybe the reason why we're making that change or we're going away from our rotation uh tired injury needs practice time uh if those scenarios come up and they exist we're certainly going to do that uh but if if an individual has a bad period or lets a bad goal in uh we have to show some confidence in them as well we've got to be mm -hmm. able to put them back in there and say hey you know what you've done it for us before you'll do it again i get it you had a bad night because right. we do that with kopitar we do that with dowdy we do that with with all our star players we put them out again next shift and we play them the next night so i know the the position's a little bit different but we want our goaltenders to believe we have confidence in them. So well, you've got a situation where you don't have just one, you know, and, and, and that may complicate things a little bit for you too. It could, but, but I think it's a luxury. Uh, yeah, I think it's, sure it is. it's something, and the way they behave with each other is a, is a real good sign or signal. And we're kind of figuring that out with Corpus Allo and, and, and Copley. They both are, uh, are really good guys. They seem to have meshed together really well. Uh, we haven't had the scenario yet where one guy goes on a little run and the other guy watches, uh, that may happen. And, and who knows how they'll behave in that situation, but all indications are they're going to support each other. And the, the team's going to back, uh, whoever's in there and root for the guy that isn't. Right. Is that a decision that you make, or do you, is that something that Billy Ranford, the, the goalie expert <laughs> deals with? Um, that's a decision we all make. Um, yeah. So it's not just a Todd or a Billy decision. We have a, a real good staff. We have some management that we, uh, we manage up to and we, we discuss situations with them. Um, but right now we have a rotation that we're going to stick with unless something really dramatically changes. 
Um, if we're lucky enough to get to the playoffs, then we'll have to make a decision on day one. But that's uh, that's quite a ways down the road, and we've got some work to do before we even have to worry about it. You mentioned Corp. Oh, go ahead, Bob. Sorry. Sorry, I'm intrigued by that. Um, do you have the goal, the a projection of who will play on every night for the rest of the season? Then no, we don't. Uh, How far ahead just, will you will you look? Tomorrow, Copley's playing tomorrow. Yeah, that's that's all you know. Yeah, that's that. all we, I've been asked that question. I don't know how many times. How many games are you going to play them? Who's playing what? Are you going to run them two or three games in a row? Exactly. Uh, no, we're gonna. We want everybody alert. We want everybody. Uh, and when I say everybody, both goaltenders aware that they could be called upon at any moment. We want them to practice like they're getting ready to play. And uh, it's been healthy for our team. It's working for us. Um, and it's something we're going to continue to do. You mentioned Corpusallo. Uh, you were able to acquire him with another player in Gavrikov, the defenseman. The one thing is, it appears is that it was a huge advantage to trade for two players rather than one, even from the point of view of camaraderie. So that when the guy walks into the dressing room, he at least knows one guy. Is that yeah. fair? I think that's fair. It's a good observation, John. It's It's never easy to walk into a new locker room you're the new guy and and think about it the the iconic hall of fame goaltender is leaving so yeah. it makes it even tougher but to walk in together these two guys were quite characteristic when or characters pardon me when they walked in they were as soon as i met them i i, I said these guys are going to fit because they were outgoing they were excited about being there um they asked questions right away they weren't reserved and um it made it easier i think that they were both coming together yeah, it's it's fun. Just as an aside, I, I saw some video of Tyson Berry walking into the <clears throat> meal room in a hotel for the Nashville Predators, and actually walking around the room and introducing himself to his new teammates, and he didn't know anyone. And I don't. I, I to your point about you know families and you know and and uprooting your life, we don't get a sense of that. We just assume everybody in hockey knows everybody. But yeah. people, that's not true, is it? No, it, it isn't. If, you know what? If you think about sending, a, not a child, but a, as a parent, we worry about the, the, the teacher for next year. What's that going to be like? We're sending our kids to school. Well, the whole family is going to a new community. They're going to new schools. In the middle of the year, their dad's going to work with a whole bunch of new people. Uh, the wives have to meet each other. They don't know where the doctors are. They don't know where the dentists are. And the, uh, oh, well, don't worry about it. You know what? You make a lot of money and, and it should be okay. They'll help you. Um, there are feelings. There's emotions that go through all of this for families. And uh, I, I think I use the analogy. We're just not flipping a marble from one bag to another bag. There, there's the human element to trading. And um, I get the business part of it, but I am sensitive to that. I'm aware of it. And I, I think it affects a lot of people. Do you have somebody on the King staff who assists those players, the, the new arrivals, especially? Yes, we do. And and uh, I think I've been with a few teams right now. This this group did an outstanding job. Uh, the the two guys that ended up coming from uh, from Columbus came on a, on a private flight. They landed. Uh, we had vehicles there to pick them up. They immediately, uh, they brought their families. They brought their dogs immediately. Uh, fridge full chefs available dog walker available uh <laughs> strollers uh baby carriages anything you could think of 
the Kings did it. I was impressed. It was amazing how much was done. Two cars were available, one each. Next day, we're going to look for apartments. We're going to look for homes for rent. Um, very, very impressive. And I'm not just saying that because I'm with the LA Kings. Uh, whoever no, took I understand. care of it should get a bonus. It's it's very you are you're in the season that is very curious because you have so many teams that are within a few points of each other. Now the playoffs are starting to become obviously a a, a little more um, done. I wouldn't say the teams that are out of it right now are uh, have no chance. There are a couple of teams that do have a chance, but basically the the top eight are are almost set but you have no idea who will finish where or who you will be playing. Have you ever been in a year quite like this where it's so in a situation where you have no concept of what's going to happen in the postseason yet? Um, at this point, no. But if you think about it, there's teams with 16, 17 games left. That's mm -hmm. almost a quarter season. Um, I, I think we get so excited about the playoffs arising, uh, arriving. There's still a lot of hockey to be played. Um, sure there is. And I think by games, maybe when you're down to eight, nine, seven, eight, nine games, you'll get a better feel of where you might end up. Uh, and then you can start analyzing it. But um, uh, I haven't been in a season perhaps like this where it's so tight where you can go from one to four in, in one night. Uh, you could be a wild card or uh, leading your division maybe within one night. Um, right, exactly. I think it's great for the game. I think it's good for the fans. Um it makes our work a little tougher, I think, as as it comes down to it, because we'll be pre-scouting teams a little bit closer, and we'll have to try and narrow it down. Uh, but that's okay. We're not afraid of work, and uh, if we get that chance, we'll we'll relish it. And the other thing is, the West is so vastly different than the East when you think about it. The, 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 everybody's clumped together in the West, and that's why we wondered what was going to happen at the trade deadline and all, and all the East did, it became an arms race of the top four or five teams. And at one point, the top six teams in the divisions in the standings were all in the East. And then there was eight, eight guys in the, in the West that were the next eight. Yep. And, and I, the, the hockey's not that much difference between the conferences, is it? Well, I think the elite teams do sit on the Eastern seaboard out in that area or the Eastern conference, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, the, the West is getting probably not enough respect. If, if, if that's the right way of saying it, I think there's some good teams out here and uh, the reigning Stanley cup champs are in the middle of the country and they're pretty damn good. Mm -hmm. um, Edmonton's got 200 point guys right now. They're pretty damn good. Um, Seattle plays really, they're Dallas. Like, I don't know who's coming out of the West, but it's going to be a tough, tough haul. Um, and then you have to worry about what's out East. But the, the, the balance of power is probably more in the East than the West. Uh, I think the record one versus the other uh, states that. Obviously, the point totals state it. Um, interesting, everybody thought uh, short term in the arms race, everything went out to the East. Uh, what will that do to the West three years from now? Right. Uh, with all these draft picks showing up and, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, so true. it will, uh, it will turn at some point. And, um, if, if these young draft picks out West here turn out to be who they are, if Connor Bedard ends up out here and, and, uh, Fantilli and these type of players that are ranked really high, 
uh, there'll be some really fun players to watch out West here in the, in the future. Uh, we are halfway done. Todd McClellan is with us, the head coach of the uh, LA Kings. We'll take a break and come back right after this. The Bob McCowan podcast is brought to you by better help. Unfortunately, life doesn't come with a user manual. So when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you feel unsure, whether it's a career change, a new relationship, or even becoming a parent. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. The therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and teaching you productive coping skills. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash bobcast. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash bobcast. McCowan and Shannon with you, and Todd McClellan of the LA Kings is uh, is with us as we are, I don't know, what, a month? Are we a month away from the playoffs about that? Playoffs start April 17th. So we're about a month away almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, when you, you have scouts that go out and, and do professional scouting, obviously, um, is there is there a pattern to this? Is it? Is it tough right now because everything is so close? You really can't you can't even narrow it down to two or three teams that you might face in the opening round. How difficult I, is that? I think that's fair to say. Again, I think that we have so much hockey left that we're not even concerned about that right now. Aren't you? No, our, our real concern is about what we're doing um, in our locker room on a nightly basis, uh, uh, maintaining our game um, we'd like to advance it as much as we can but uh, just maintenance is a lot of work right now um, as far as adjusting or pre-scouting for an opponent that will happen um, a couple weeks from now so when our when our pro scouts go out right now uh, for the the prior two weeks uh, they were looking at the trade deadline and Exactly. Zeroing in on individuals. I think most teams were doing that in the league. Now, a lot of pro scout teams are, are looking at potential free agents for next year, uh, that hidden gem that maybe somebody made a mistake on, um, trying to evaluate our restricted and, and free agents versus other teams to see if we want to let somebody walk or, or go after another player. Uh, they're also keeping an eye on what other teams are doing as far as tactics and some of that stuff. But uh, I don't think we've zeroed in on, well, I know we haven't zeroed in on that yet. Uh, as it gets closer though, we'll have some specific assignments for some of our pro scouts, but there are no secrets anymore with the amount of video, uh, the amount of uh, replay and analytic stuff. Uh, the pro scouts are there almost to support what we're seeing already. So uh, Andre Kopitar, we're going to slow down. Uh, I sure hope not, at least but, in my time here. But it, but it is quite, it, 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 he's an amazing athlete, isn't he? He's a remarkable individual. Um, a real good man to begin with. Uh, unreal. Um, he's a typical king, as I would say. Like he gives up a lot to, to, for his team and his teammates. Um, certainly could score. He reminds me a little bit of Pavel Datsuk, where he may have a chance to win the scoring title, but it's important for him to play uh 
uh, a complete game on both sides of the puck. So there was very little cheat in it. Uh, quietly goes about his business, very bright, very smart, um, speaks when he needs to be speaking. Um, and coaches just have confidence in individuals. They, they just know when they put them on the ice, uh, there's a chance that good things are going to happen. He ranks right up there at the top of, of those types of players, certainly for our team. So how much heavy lifting does he do for you? Because you don't want to be in there carping at the guys all the time. And he's the captain. And uh, when do you get a chance to just take a few minutes and say, hey, Andre, here's, here's what I'm thinking. And they're tired of talking to me today. Yes, I, I don't want to overstress him with that. Um, there's others in the locker room. We're trying to create a really uh, strong second level of leadership as, as some of these former uh, Stanley Cup champs have left for whatever reason. Uh, we're left now with Drew Doughty and Ansi Kopitar is really the two of them. Amazing, we, isn't it? It is amazing. We, we need to develop a, a new layer and a strong layer of um, support and leadership uh, Phil Deneau, uh, Arvidsson, Matt Roy, I can go on and on, Alex Iafalo, we, we, uh, we tap those guys a lot too. So it doesn't just fall on Ansi Kopitar's shoulders. If it had to, we'd have no problem doing it. But by design, we're trying to uh, create an evolution of, of secondary leadership so that when that day comes, hopefully years and years down the road for us, uh, the next group will be ready to step up. And, and they are doing a really good job of it. It seems that, that um, what, what we've seen or what I've seen maybe, and it's over a considerable period of time, I grant you, but that you're the leader of your hockey team is almost invariably your best player. And if not, then he's one of the best players. But that was not always the case. Um, it may have been a veteran player. I mean, I mean, I think of a guy like, you know, I mean, granted, it's 40 years ago, George Armstrong was the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs for many years. He was certainly not the best player on the Maple Leafs, but he was a captain for a long period of time, and he was the he was the guy that everybody went to, and and there, that was true on a lot of teams in the seventies, eight, and even eighties and nineties. Today seems to be different than that. Todd seems like your best player has to be your leader too. Do you well, think that's true? Yeah, and in, and comparing the eras, I think what ended up happening. I, I'll use Steve Eiserman for example. Steve was was in Detroit when I was there. Long, yep. long time captain. Uh, he had yes, that he was. on his shoulder forever. And I think when he became the captain, he probably wasn't the best player. I'm sure although, he wasn't. Although yeah. he evolved into being one of the best, if not the best players. Right. But during my time there, he still wore the C and he wasn't the best player there. I know that for sure. He would tell you that. Right. But evolution, he was there that long. Right now, we're seeing a lot of young captains coming into their, their prime. So if you take Bergeron, for example, in Boston, is he their best player? Well, he's certainly one of them. Yeah, He's had the C on his jersey for so long. They've won a cup with him. He's their guy. Uh, Connor, um, as John Shannon knows, when we were in Edmonton, we named him the captain uh, as a very young individual. Yes, he was. Uh, he was very, very close, or he was the best player on the team at that time. Uh, but he still had to grow into the role. And now he's prospering as a, as an incredible leader. I watch him on, uh, uh, you know, on, on these types of shows or, or um, even on the bench, he's, he's evolved uh, into the role so strongly. Um, it's part of evolution, I think. And, and your alpha should be your leader. 
providing they're doing things right. Sometimes the alpha isn't doing things right and he can't be your leader. So I don't know if that point is exact, but probably in 90% of certain situations, um, these are the best players right now. I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but the, the, the Connor one's an interesting one because it was, he just signed the brand new big deal. I mean, it was, uh, it, it was, it was quite obvious, as you said, he was the best player. Um, in looking back at it now, and when you were the coach, was it, would it have been there? Could you have existed without him being the captain? Um, yeah, we could have existed and, and Connor could have done his thing, but part of, of growing a team in an organization is preparing individuals for uh, not only the present, but the, the future. Wow. And the, he's Connor McDavid. Um, you know, he, he was, is and was, and is going to be, um, you know, like likely the best player in the national hockey league right now. Um, and he had leadership skills. He, he needed people around him to help him. And we had some of those people there. We had, um, people in, in the locker room, we had management, um, put a lot of pressure to put on a young individual, but he grew up with pressure his whole life. And, uh, I'm proud of the fact that he became a captain at that age because he handled it very well. And he continues to do that. There have been many teams though, that have gone a period of time, an extended period of time without a captain. I'm wondering what you think of that. Whether you think the captaincy is as important maybe as it once was. I think every situation presents, um, opportunities it presents a clarification and if you don't have it uh, I don't think it should be forced um, at the end of the day if season A's never existed I'm not even sure about the history of it was it you know did you put these letters on jerseys so they could communicate with referees was it a status thing uh, a good hockey historian may be able to tell us that but we've carried this tradition on long enough or long on for a very long period. Right. If we took the season A's away from every team in the NHL, you'd still have an alpha, you'd still have a leader, you'd still have people doing their thing. Um, and, and in that case, it may even be more powerful because there may be a whole group that steps up and takes over. So uh, to, your, to your question, I think every situation, teams go without it for a while for certain reasons. And you have to respect those reasons. Uh, I don't know what they are. Uh, because I'm not there, but I, I can see why they may do it. In your coaching career, have you ever gone without a captain? We have, yeah, for a little while. Did you? San Jose. Oh, okay. And and, and was... yet you knew the core. You knew that core of guys. Yeah. You, you didn't need a captain when you had Patty, when you had Marlowe, and you had Thornton, and you had Vlasic, and you, you had all those guys. I mean, they they were all captains, weren't they? Well, that's, that's to my point. Uh, we had, we had an alpha in the locker room and um, he, you know, he was the captain yeah. and Jumbo was an unreal captain. Yeah. He was, he, he was bold. He was big. He was strong. He, he led the group, uh, you know, and he took a lot of pride in wearing it, but if he didn't have it on, he was still that guy. And uh, he did a, an outstanding job being that guy and everybody else supported and followed uh, I think one thing that San Jose had was real good secondary support. Uh, that's the level that we're trying to create here with Pavelski and, and Ryan Klo and some of those other players that stepped up. Um, mm. We're getting that here in, in Los Angeles right now. And you have to develop. You can't just think it's organically going to happen. 
you've got to create situations and moments for players to get involved in certain situations uh, and it trains them for the future. So um, it's a, it's an ever evolving leadership thing. So how have you changed in that time in San Jose to Edmonton, to the Kings? Uh, where, where is your growth? Oh, uh, well, my hair is grayer. Well, um, yeah, but that join the club, pal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the years go, the years go by pretty quick, but, um, you know, my evolution is one where I, I think when you're a young coach and you enter the league, um, you feel good about yourself. You obviously got the job and you believe in, in tactics and you believe in, um, you know, systems and structure, but what you probably don't realize enough is that it's way more than that. And it's, everybody talks about relationships, but uh, it's the everyday ups and downs. It's the body language that, that you give off as a coach. It's the body language in a hallway when you're walking by the player. We, do you look him in the eye? Does he look away from you? Those are all coaching moments. And you don't quite realize that as a young coach. The other thing as a young coach is that you're worried about tomorrow. And tomorrow means, for me at least, was can I survive? Will I, you know, am I going to get fired? Do I get another contract? The, the pressure's so immense. As you get further along in the tooth, um, and maybe you're a little more secure in, in a lot of different ways, whether it's financial or, or experience, you say to hell with it. I'm doing it. I believe in it. I'm not that convicted uh, that whatever happens, happens. And that's probably when you do your best coaching. Um, when you're coaching a little bit um, afraid of the future, uh, I think you tend to make mistakes. And But every young coach goes through that because of the pressure that's put on them. But, but conviction and being stubborn are two different things, aren't yes, they? They are. And I, I think maybe as we get older, we can be stubborn too. We don't want to change our ways. <laughs> um, but father time will catch up with us if we're too stubborn if we don't want to change and we don't bend uh we don't figure out how to relate to some of these young players uh it will catch up uh mm. to us eventually and they'll push us right out of the game so i think you have to be pliable or flexible as a coach um i used to tell you this john in edmonton that my uh that my boys kept me current yeah uh, i had tyson and kale i still have tyson and kale but they're now 27 and 24 uh, they're going to have their own families pretty soon and they'll learn what current means. But uh, uh, throughout those um, high school or early college years, a lot of things were going on in their lives that were relative to what was happening to our players in Edmonton or maybe in San Jose at that time. And they kept me current. I understand or understood at that time, still do the value of a, of a phone. Um, there's coaches, I don't think anymore, but they, in my day, Get rid of the phones. Phones aren't allowed. Well, that's the lifeline. You've got one in your pocket, probably sitting right in front of you right now. Yep. Um, you know, and, and look at us at our age. We rely on them too. Um, so we all have changed and we have to continue to change if we have or want to have any chance of success. And uh, it's sometimes hard and you are sometimes stubborn. Um, but if you're, if you believe in something and you have a conviction, I think you should follow through on it. But have to be pliable. What do you make of the tablets on the bench then? I have no problem with them. Um, yeah. Our team handles it well. I don't think there's a distraction. I think they're a great uh, teaching tool. I think it creates uh, self-teaching moments for the players. So uh, Arvidsson and Deneau come off and they want to talk about a situation. 
I think that's incredible um, communication between two players that are talking about what will we do in this situation again. Now, if it gets to the point where uh, blame is being assigned, uh, you know, this guy didn't do that or this guy didn't do this and I hear it, well, we have no problem reaching over, grabbing the damn thing and throwing it in the holder again. Yeah. Uh, but that rarely happens with, with our team. We're a little bit older, um, you know, have a little more experience uh, with these things. Um, but every, again, every situation is different. So you can't judge a coach or a team or a group of players on whether or not they want to use it or don't want to use it. Do you talk to your players one-on-one? -on -one? Are you, are you that kind of coach? Are you inclined to say, Hey, come on in or pick up the telephone and call them or whatever? Absolutely. I don't think you could do this job unless you did that. And it used to be, well, John Shannon report to the principal's office. Remember that call John, when it went over the yeah. speaker, Sure. they never called you in to say, Hey, you know what? You did a good job cleaning up the playground today. Usually <laughs> you'd done something wrong. Yeah. Making um, the that's, mess. That's right. Exactly. And that's, what's changed. Uh, we make sure that we when bring players into the coach's office. Now uh, it's to reward them, to rec to make sure that we're recognizing they're doing things that we asked them to do. So Quentin Byfield, you know what, you're, you're creating turnovers on the forecheck. Come and take a look. This is how far you've come. And it becomes a comfortable uh, position to be in sometimes too. Now you still go to the principal's office sometimes if it's not going well. And those are um, pretty straightforward conversations. They don't have to be long and you're not a raving lunatic. Uh, but the players need to hear what the players need to hear. But they also need to hear the other side of the coin when they do things properly. And uh, an office isn't always a good meeting place. Sometimes a casual in the hallway, on the ice, on the plane. Um, you know, those situations are, are um, special. They, you can really connect with an individual in a comfortable common place rather than being in the office. And if a co if a player hears a uh, coach wants to see you, he, he knows it's not necessarily to be punished or to be chastised for something he's done. No. And, and chastise should never exist. And even punished really doesn't exist, but held accountable is, is okay. how we approach it. Um, the player should know. The player should know when he hears those words, am I going to be held accountable or am I going to be rewarded based on his self-evaluation? So exactly. yeah. if you're, if you're playing a pretty shitty game, if you will, uh, over and over again, and coach needs to see you and you can't self-evaluate, then you're going to be massively confused when you walk in that office, but the good ones know. Um, and if you feel like you're playing well and you're doing a lot of good things and coach wants to see you, uh, you should be able to self-evaluate and expect a, a pretty um, productive and positive meeting. Um, but I think self-evaluation is a skill that every player should have. Absolutely. But, well, and and, the, and let's, let's face it, the one currency that you control is, is ice time. Absolutely. And, um, <laughs> I mean, we've seen it. John Cooper's done it. Rick Bonus did it the other night. 12 yep. minutes is number one line sat on the bench. Yep. Yep. And, and, and his it, answer was the other lines were playing better. <laughs> yep. And, and you go back to the coaching scenario that we talked about. John Cooper's got a couple Stanley Cups. He's 800 games in. Bones is forever. And yeah. It's great to have them. They have conviction. They believe that they need to do this and they're doing it. And they're not doing it with the fourth line players. They're doing it with superstars. Uh, at some point, those superstars will respect them for doing it. Maybe not in the moment. 
Mm. Uh, but they will, and the rest of the team will, and uh, they'll get off and, and uh, play really well. Before we let you go, if you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Uh, probably running a podcast with Bob McGowan. <laughs> <laughs> if he would you allow do- me. Okay, you're in. Yeah. No, I uh, start tomorrow. That's not a good trade because I'm not that good a coach. (laughs) I may not be that good on the podcast either. Oh, I don't think I don't think that's a problem. No, I don't either. uh, It's probably a question that I needed to answer years ago because if I wasn't doing this, I think I'm really going to enjoy life with my wife, and I'm going to spend a ton of a ton of time with with my kids. I'm going to see the world, all the things that I haven't been able to do for for a lot of years, because it does take up a lot of our time. Um, But earlier in my career, I thought about being a teacher um, of some sort. Um, I don't know what, but uh, I think the two careers kind of go along the same path and you can throw parenting in it. I think parenting, teaching and coaching all have common. uh, Sure. they do. Parenting, teaching, coaching, and podcasting. They all go together. Yeah. You'd be you'd be bored as hell if you retired now, McClellan. Are I can you, tell you right now, I did it for a short period of time. John John's been in retirement, of course, for twenty years. Um, well, you, I was I, Bob, tired. I was I was in firement yeah. for, a, for a whole winter. Yeah, and that's a little bit similar to retirement, and firement wasn't a lot of fun. So, my wife and my kids keep telling me there's no way you can retire because you'll go exactly bananas. Well, yeah, can, you'll go out of your mind. We yeah. can all relate to firemen. Yeah, can't we? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Listen, you got a, you got a game to go and see. Uh, one do, of your kids, yeah, my, I guess. My so we're playing. we're gonna let you go. We want to listen. Thank you very much for taking some time for us today. We greatly appreciate it. And good luck to you and the LA Kings in the balance of the season. Well, uh, it's been a good year so far. Take care. Stay healthy. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's Todd McClellan, the coach of the Los Angeles Kings. We'll be back in a minute. Our thanks to Todd McClellan for joining us. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Has he had more than three, I guess, or just three opportunities in the NHL? Three head coaching jobs in the NHL. He he was an assistant coach in uh, Detroit for Mike Babcock and then went to San Jose. Uh, lasted in San Jose a long time. He was he was actually the coach of that San Jose team, Bob, that you used to rail on for being the perennial predicted Stanley Cup finalist. Well, and that's then, all. Yeah. Just it wasn't it wasn't I wasn't railing on the team. I was railing on the people that that picked them to win every year. But he could year never after get, year after year never get to that next level. They never then could. He, then he got got hired in Edmonton, and uh, uh, which is where I spent a ton of time with. Uh, with Todd, and then uh, one of the players he had in uh, in San Jose, uh, and they maintained a great relationship. One of those players was Rob Blake. Oh yeah, who's the and GM? Rob, and and Rod Blake is now the general manager of the Kings. So about seven seconds after Todd was removed from the job in Edmonton, or as he called it, firement, um, the, the stories were that he was going to end up being the coach of the Kings. And that's yeah. where he ended up the following season. Well, there's no doubt he's a good coach. Um, and he's a lifer too. Yeah. Well, and I, I think you get a sense in being able to have 45 minutes with him. Uh, he's a pretty good communicator. Uh, exactly. And, and he can deal with those guys. He, he You know, he's, he's, a, he's a disciple of Mike Babcock in so many ways that he worked with. And one of the guys on that staff, 
and also worked for them in San Jose is the new coach in Edmonton, Jay Woodcroft. I say new coach, but it's been a couple of years. And yeah. they have maintained a great relationship. In fact, when when Todd got when 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 Todd was coaching the Kings and Jay got hired as the coach of the Oilers coming out of the American League, their families are so close. The first time the Oilers played the Kings, Jay's family ended up staying at McClellan's house in Los Angeles. And the and the guys went mano a mano between behind the benches and Woodcroft won that first night, uh, beating the Kings and uh, McClellan kicked him out of the house. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure or or sent him a bill or yeah. something like that. So it's a small fraternity coaching, but uh, there's a and when you listen to Jay speak and you listen to Todd speak, you can hear a lot of the same stuff. So they've obviously spent a lot of time over the years, probably over a cold beer or uh, a morning coffee discussing philosophies of coaching and how to motivate and how to deal with people. Cause that's a, yeah. that's almost a bigger aspect of coaching in the national hockey league now than strategy. Don't you think? Oh, I do. I mean, that's why I asked him about having meetings with players and, you know, do you do that? Do you meet with the guys one-on-one if not, if for no other reason, you know, it, it may not be a technical reason, but just, just to get to know them, just to let them know that, you know, that the coach is thinking about them regardless you know, I, I think that's important. Well, he, you know, he and, does meet with them. And and we have, and we've, you know, the last few coaches and management guys we've had on the show always talk about, yes, I do deal one-on-one and I try to deal more in positives than negatives. Than now. negatives. And yeah. that ha- that's the part of coaching, I think, that has changed so much. Because I in agree. the days, the fire and brimstone of coaching was you do it my way or you're not playing. Yeah, my way or the highway. That's now right. you've got to massage the athlete. Uh, we got to get out of here. Time is our enemy. We'll uh, see you again tomorrow. Thanks for uh, watching or listening. For John Shannon, Bob McCown. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.